0: They marveled at your signs, your wonders. They thought you had died, but you saved the world. A sign, power, divine authority. Expect a miracle, believe for a miracle, receive for a miracle. And be responsible to manage your miracle. Where miracles are, there certainly God is. Hello, hello. I didn't trip this time. I did good. I had to cover my big fall last service with a ta-da. Well, hello this morning, I'm so glad to be in the house. And um, how many of you have never heard me speak before? So let's be really good friends. And what normally takes like you know three or four years to get to know each other, let's borrow affection, be family. I don't have time to jump through any hoops, neither do you. Let's have a great time. It's gonna be good. And the good news is, if um, you didn't, if you don't end up loving my message, the worship was so good, and then I'm doing a dance for the hip hop afterwards and the rap afterwards, I'm gonna use all my Fortnite moves, every single one of them, for you guys. I have like two. I have two moves just two, my five-year-old told me, please don't do flossing anymore, Dad. And she's like, you're embarrassing yourself. That's what she told me. My five-year-old said that. I said, am I embarrassing myself or you? And she was yourself. And I was like, wow, you're emotionally intelligent. This is scary. <laughs> oh, Lord. So I just want to say hi real fast. Just so you know, Earl, I know he's new to you guys. He's not new to me. I've known Earl for, I don't know, 10 years now. And he was a missionary in Hollywood as well. And so him and his wife, they came and uh, they they rented a miracle house and just hosted a lot of people and hosted a lot of stuff. And they were ran alongside of our church. And just they're the most generous, kind, loving people. And they have like this deep kind of mystical God side. And they have a real practical side. So it doesn't surprise me at all that Jedediah is blowing up and he was here at your guys' church because he's just – their kids are just amazing. So I'm so glad to see you again. It was so such a privilege to see you. Like, I didn't know you were going to be here. You didn't tell me. And then he was sitting next to me like, oh, oh, this is awesome. Why did you go to Hawaii and leave me in Hollywood by myself? I'm just kidding. No, we're so glad you went back when it was time. But I'm glad you're back kind of centered around California again, which is amazing. And then uh, I just want to say hi to you guys. Jim and Jane, you guys are like so amazing, and you introduced me to this church, you introduced us to each other, and you guys are responsible for so many God connections in Southern California, and so I just want to honor you guys, thanks for being in the house today, I know it's kind of one of your homes, you know, one of your many homes, but I love you guys, it's so good to see you, and then uh, Donnie is here, and Donnie is part of our prophetic team, we have about 85 prophetic team in our in our region in Los Angeles from different churches that we've been raising up, and Donnie's one of them, and he came down to be with me during this time, but I just wanted you to say hi, wave. At the end, he, he may jump up here with me for just a minute at the end, and uh, he scares me with this prophetic gift. It's awesome, and so he's a lot of fun. Okay, he's a businessman, though, and he travels with me sometimes and does stuff. It's fun. Well... I love the theme that's come across today, and I had changed my message a couple of weeks ago when um, I, I was pointed at this trip and praying about this trip. I had just—I was just going to share about kind of what's currently I'm sharing about, which is hearing God's voice. It's one of the things I'm known for, and we do have, like you said, resources. One of them that's really helpful for you, the most helpful one probably if you're newer to hearing God's voice, it's called Exploring the Prophetic Devotional, and it's a, just a daily devotional you can get, and it's at Barnes & Noble's. You can get it here wherever. Amazon but uh, I'd encourage you to get it's a great Christmas gift because you're sowing the gift of hearing God's voice and it's just daily five to seven minute times with God and we also have Exploring the Prophetic Podcast which is a free resource which comes out every week and we're in the top hundred podcasts in Christianity right now which is wild because the charismatic Pentecostals don't typically occupy the top hundred spaces in Christianity and podcast networks. And uh, and people are loving to hear about the voice of God. They're just loving to hear stories of how when we hear from God, we engage culture, we transform the world. So almost everybody who's on the show is not in ministry, only about maybe 10% are in ministry. The rest of the people are actors and moms and business people and producers, it's so much fun. So come on the journey with us, listen to Exploring the Prophetic, it's free. If you don't know how to get on a podcast, which is like a radio show, you can just go on YouTube and look for it there. And it's with Charisma Podcast Network, which is Charisma Magazine and String Communications. So we're having a lot of fun with it, which Tammy also has a podcast on Charisma and String, which I've been um, privileged to be on, which is great. And so it's your guys' turn to be on mine. When are you gonna be on my podcast? Seriously, we gotta, we got to set it up. Okay, so that's all the announcement, advertisement. I'm from Los Angeles. We do do commercials. Um, <laughs> but the message today is about generosity, and I felt to change it. You had texted me, I think it was last night, and I felt to, I've been studying about generosity for about the last year, and just praying into it because it's one of the central themes in my life, but I didn't realize it was one of the central themes of humanity. It's like one of the things that God hard wired you for that will cause you to live the best quality of life, generosity. I'm going to prove it to you that you're wired neurologically, that you're wired spiritually, that you're wired physiologically, and that you're wired psychologically for generosity. And it's this is not just based on my limited research. This is based on Decades now of psychologists and neurologists and neurobiologists who are studying this and seeing this over and over and over as a pattern of how you're gonna live the happiest and most successful life. So let me start off just by reading 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19. This is the Passion Translation. um, So you may not have that translation, but I'd encourage you to get it. Especially, that'd be a great Christmas present for someone too. Brian Simmons has put the Passion Translation together. It's the most poetic, beautiful theological version. I like the message, but the message is light theology. Passion actually has full, really graceful theology to it, which is good. And it, uh, this, this particular scripture, 1 Corinthians, First uh, Timothy six eighteen through 19, remind the wealthy to be rich in good works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. This will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future as they lay their hands upon the meaning of true life. In other words, another version, NIV says, teach them how to live the life that is truly life. Now, J- Jesus promised in John 10.10, 10, he said, of course, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you a life and a life abundantly. And the key to have an abundant life is extravagant generosity. And generosity isn't just a foundation God put in us about resources, but when you're learning how to hear from God, one of the biggest proving grounds where you can grow the fastest is to be generous with your time, which is your energy, be generous with your, uh, your resources, not just your finances. Finances we always teach about, but your resources. You know, I, I grew up in a house where missionaries would come through L.A. and Anaheim and all these places that we grew up down here. And uh, and we'd always have them stay with us. It's so funny because we never had an empty bed in our house. It felt like we always had someone in our house, you know, we just, and so it's very common. Like I, I took teams of five to seven people with me for 12 years when I was in Kansas city, all over, all over the country, we'd just get in a big van and do prophetic conferences. And I would never just go alone, but I'd bring five to seven people with me. Sometimes even more, we had a 15 passenger van. So we would do that. And we'd stay in like two hotel rooms cause we were totally ghetto It was part of the house of prayer where, where we <laughs> took the vow of poverty, I think. And, uh, So we'd like stay in two two hotel rooms or something and just like, you know, go. But I've always been in a place where there's a lot of shared resource. And I've loved the benefit of that because of what happens through that. It's like I feel like I've been a part of a big family. When when you have your first child, a lot of times you're afraid, like, is there going to be money for this? Am I ever going to have enough? Like some people wait to have their first child until they have enough. But most people don't have the option because it just happens. And something happens when you get an expansion in your family where just more resources produced. It magically appears, you know why, because God blesses family. And when you start to adopt the world like they're your family, you start producing a different level of resource for them. And I love the proving ground of hearing God and resources because you'll learn how to grow in hearing his voice faster than any other way you can learn because it's trackable. If you give here, you're going to see the result here, which I love. So let me just read a few things here. We have to build a kingdom framework before we build neurological, psychological, or biological. God was so extravagant in his generosity to us that he created all of this around himself just to share himself with us. It's the fundamental thing he reveals in Genesis 1. I want humanity because I'm going to share myself with somebody I can call my counterpart, my sons, my daughters, not just his servants. He had the angels, he has the whole angelic order to serve creation and serve the plan, but he wanted people who would be his counterpart. That's how generous he is. And then he created Adam with the same desire. And that's why Adam looked at all the pairs of animals and was naming them, and all of a sudden was like, still had a loneliness. And it wasn't a depression loneliness. It was something inside him that God had created as part of him to give himself extravagantly to someone else. And so who God created Eve from his own bone, you know, from his own rib, which is so beautiful. We are made of dirt. She was made of our rib. It was great. <laughs> she got quite the upgrade. And, and it's so beautiful because God shows his nature. Then he shows his nature. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's how extravagant God was. I mean, he looked at us, and, and it's just part of his nature to say, I'm going to give to you over and over and over from the best of who I am. And he models that, and I love how you said it's, it's what heals the world. Like when generosity heals the world, it's so true because it's, the, it's literally the virtue that's the number one virtue that if you practice intentionally, you'll always bear fruit that's visible. Not all the virtues are like that. I know for me with customer service to practice patience and humility doesn't always bear immediate fruit when you're calling AT&T or DirecTV. It doesn't always bear immediate fruit. Sometimes you still get the same jerk response. But, man, if you practice generosity, every time there's visible fruit, every time there's a, a wow moment, every time you'll reap from what you've sown, which is so beautiful. Giving can be done from many motives, but when you when you do it, like humanistic motives, it can be done from just nice compassion, human compassion of God instilled in all of us. But when you do it from a godly compassion, when you do it from a place of obedience, you get a kingdom result, which means it transforms someone. And I use the example of if you give a dollar to a homeless person just because you feel bad for them, you're actually selfish in that desire. Because if a homeless person on the street, for the most part, almost every homeless person in the Southern California area is a drug addict. And I'm not, I'm not being rude. That's what the police force says. That's what the drug rehab says. That's what, that's what the psychologists say. That's what the missions say. It's an almost, it used to be mental illness. Now it's almost universally drug addict. So when you're giving a dollar to them, you're not solving their problem. And you're robbing from the local missions and the rehab centers and the places that could actually help them. But... If you're a Christian and God shows you a spiritual place of compassion to say, here's some money or provision or food, I see you. I love you. You're amazing. You're not invisible. Just because you're in this state, I'm going to treat you and look at you with eyes that see you as the son or the daughter at the end of the race with a trophy in your hand. Even though in this moment, it's just a brief moment, I see you. And when when they feel that, you've changed the culture of that person's life, even if only for a minute. So when Kingdom Framework for Compassion comes in, when you start to be generous, it actually is unto transformation. It's not just unto nice acts. I loved when the Christian church was doing radical acts of kindness that were just sweet, that were good. I mean, we did the passing the water bottles and did all kinds of, we did all kinds of stuff. Like, I mean, I was, I've been a missionary at heart my whole life, 20 years in war zones and red light districts and all kinds of crazy places. It's kind of my, my passion projects are always in places I can get killed. It's great. And all those things are good, especially when you, when you hear God, it's real good because then things change, things shift. But the kingdom framework is you start to, to share your resources and your value with God and that you reap an immediate benefit because it's eternal, it's who we are. To give ourselves to God, I love Romans 12, one, where it says, offer in 2 and 3, where it says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice of God. This is, a, this is worship. That means I look at God and I say, God, you can have everything that's in my life. You can have my resources, my time, my value. Have you ever thought about it? Like, you know, people come up to the front for altar calls and they're like, you can have everything after a really good worship time. And they, at the time, they may be 25, they have like a small bank account, maybe like a beat up Prius or something. And then like 20 years later, God goes, hey, remember that altar call? Well, now you have a million dollars in your bank account and you have all kinds of sex. Sex, success, might have sex too, success. I haven't seen my wife in three days. Sorry about that. (laughs) Wow, you lost me there. And you have all kinds of success, and that's what I want from you. I want to draw on what you said. You would surrender it all here. I'm going to draw from it here. And if you're not living a lifestyle of it, it's very painful. It's very painful when God, because God will require everything. He never says, I want you to give me 10%. I want you to give me a little bit. He says, I actually want your whole life. Like Jesus modeled what tithing looks like. Like my church members used to go, do you believe in a 10% tithe? I'm like, no, I believe in 100%. I don't believe in that 10%. I think 10% helps us to learn how to give. But I think God, he's always required me higher than 10%. I don't know about you, but he's always required me like higher than 10% time, energy, everything. Like We're constantly in a place of sacrifice that puts us in a place of almost danger. I'm not saying we're stupid, but we're stupid to our family because when you give financially and extravagantly or of your time or of your energy to people that don't make sense, your family and even your Christian friends who have not heard God with you will judge you. That's what the kingdom generosity, looks like Jesus gave, or the father gave Jesus his only son. It looks stupid to the world. It's offensive. That's the part that's offensive to the world. The part that's offensive to the world about Christianity isn't the fact that you think you hear God and you hear a voice in your head. Or that you believe the Bible's true or the history. I mean, that's, that's not that offensive. The part that's offensive is that you actually sacrifice very real resources that you should be saving for your children's college. Or you start to give away things to people who are like drug addicts. How many of you know a drug addict who got saved and is awesome now? Or you might be one. I mean, I, there's times I took people. I would go to homeless shelters, and I would take people from the homeless shelter and let them come live with me. That's not very smart unless you hear God. And I remember I was in one ministry where the man who led the ministry goes, I had two drug addicts living with me, and then we had three guys who I was discipling living with me, and the guys who were discipling were helping to disciple the drug addicts. And they were in rehab, and they had three strikes. As long as they stayed in rehab, they were fine, but we had a three-strike rule. And so we had a very good coordinated plan. There was nothing, like, super scary about the process except for they were drug addicts. And so one time my laptop was gone. I was like, where's my laptop? And one of them who stole it for drugs actually tried to help me find it. I don't know. Where is it? You know? So there is that kind of stuff that happened. But but I remember the man who led the ministry goes, what is the community going to think when they find out drug addicts live next door to them? What are they going to think about our ministry? I'm like, that we're Christians and we help people? (laughs) That we love people? That we're giving people a second chance? That God is the God who recreates destiny? What are you talking about? And he goes, this is embarrassing. That you're giving the resource of your house to these people who were on the street or were in these, you know, programs in these shelters. And I looked at him and I go, Then I want to be really embarrassing then. And he's like, What would the mayor think? I said, I just talked to him two weeks ago, like because it was a little small town. I just talked to him two weeks ago. He was so proud of us for even taking on this problem. Like he was so proud of us for like helping people. And he's like, I just don't understand this. This was a Christian leader. I love him. He's a good man, but he didn't understand. It's offensive to give your resources and be generous the way that God wants you to, even to people who are right next to you. And they'll only, they'll only go on the good part of the journey when it gets good. When the person has a redemption, when there's a happy ending to it. And sometimes there's not total happy endings. I mean, we do stuff in war zones and bases get stolen and things are hard and whatever. And there's not always a happy ending. And it's hard for Christians sometimes to sow into something extravagantly and release control. But kingdom generosity, you cannot control. It's like a wildfire. You just give and you just love. I know in our generation, the biggest commodity is time. It's not money anymore. It's time as far as the Western world. And to give people your time with no strings attached is so huge. God is the God who, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that matters to God. As a matter of fact, I taught this in the last service that if you study prophecy in the Bible, you know, one-third of the Bible is about prophets and prophecy. I don't know if you know that. So, so it's a subject we should know about, even if you don't feel like you're a prophet or you're prophetic or whatever. You should still know about it because one-third of the Bible is about this. And out of all the future prophecies that were recorded in the Bible, about 60 to 70% of them were about the immediate or near future. They were about that generation walking into something immediately or near. And then there was, the rest of them are using messianic prophecies, which was about Jesus, you know thousands of years later that was going to come, the Messiah was going to come. And when you understand that, the reality is is that God wants to speak to us, but he's speaking to us about things for right now that keep us present and grounded in our reality for today because this is the day we're supposed to rejoice in. This is the day we're supposed to be happy about. And a lot of people have used prophecy to be a crutch because they have a victim mentality, so they're looking at what God might do 20 years from now because they're not happy with today. And your time right now is your biggest commodity in your today. Like today, so many of us are so busy, especially Californians, man. We're busy. If you have any kids in school, you're real busy. You know, if you have a career, you're real busy. And so when somebody, when God asks you to stop for the one and actually spend time with somebody, it actually can mean a lot. Like sometimes when we stop for homeless people in Los Angeles and we just spend time with them and hear their story, I've had more homeless people over the last 12 years tell me, I can't believe you stopped for me and just spent time with me. You didn't just give me food. You sat down and ate food with me. I just can't believe it. Thank you so much. Like, no one ever talks to me. They give me stuff, but no one ever talks to me. It's huge for people, whether it's the poorest of the poor or if it's the richest of the rich because the commodity of time on their lives as well, and when they respect your time, it's a big deal for you to stop for them as well. Time is a commodity for everybody, just like money is a commodity for everybody. And God wants us to be generous, not just in ways that are really obvious, but ways that are unobvious. Now, let me get through this a little bit more. There's so many good scriptures. I love Macedonians and whatever, but nine characteristics of kingdom generosity. I'm just going to read these because I want to get into how you're wired for generosity. Number one, giving, expecting nothing in return, no strings attached. That's a characteristic of kingdom generosity. How many of you have been given something with strings attached? How awful is that? like do this. I remember this one couple, they're so amazing. And they asked to give us a property somewhere, a $12 million property, which in California would have been like a 35 million dollar property, $12 million property with several, like at least a million dollars a year for our budget just to start. And it was in a place we didn't feel called to go. And then they told us, and this is the kind of worship we want you to do. And we want you to wear this kind of dress code. Cause they liked fancy, you know, they like suits and stuff. I'm like, I'm, I have a Lululemon shirt on. I do have an Italian jacket on just because I had one. But, I mean, you know, I've or jeans on. That was not allowed in their world. And there were so many strings attached to what they want to give us because they were trying to make us professional. And I just looked at them and I go, I love you. Thank you so much. You're so generous. But no. If you would give it with nothing attached, I still wouldn't take it because God's telling me, you know, it's for someone else. Thank you, though, for your generosity. And they're looking at me like, are you the stupidest person there ever was? I'm like no that's like someone that's someone's dream it's not my dream it's not my dream place it's not my dream ministry it's not my dream i have a dream and it was really hard for them when they had strings attached but that's not kingdom generosity to have control number 2 generosity is not just about money but money does link us to generosity it's the proof text of generosity if you have a dysfunctional relationship to money you have a dysfunctional relationship to generosity Okay, number three, using social capital for others. So using your influence for others. In California, people have whole careers off of social capital. And so it's hard for people to be generous. As a matter of fact, many people are afraid to give away their friendships or social capital because they're afraid they're going to lose something in it. But we see Jesus all the time giving away his social capital with the Father. My Father's in heaven building houses for you. He wasn't trying to get bigger by everybody knowing him and that he had a relationship with the Father, he was trying to give his relationship to the Father to all of us through the Holy Spirit. How beautiful is that! Number four, using talents for others. Number five, spiritual gifts for others. Number six, time for others. Number seven, recognizing that we have more than enough in certain areas and that this is a storehouse for those around us. And this doesn't have to be you're wealthy financially or you have the most amazing talents and gifts. It could be time. It could be that you have a talent that you can use. Number eight, being generous with being present. And we just talked about being present. This is the day the Lord's made. Number nine, choosing to live with less for ourselves so that we have the opportunity to get more for others or give more for others. And we have an eternal incentive, because in in heaven you will see the effect of every act of generosity from your life. Can you imagine that that's one of the greatest accumulations of love? In heaven the only thing that matters is, is love. How you loved on the earth. And generosity is also the proof text of love. I love what Randy Alcor says, he says, we should live more simply and give more generously because heaven is our home. The single greatest deterrent to giving and to living more simply is the illusion that this world is our home. There's a generation of Christians that are really young that haven't been given the incentive of our eternal home. And so they're looking at my incentive is my destiny I get to do here on earth. It's so exciting. I get to, I get to do something. I get to have a business for God. I get to become an actor. I get to you know, play music for God. I get to do whatever for God. And they're not thinking like heaven is not their divine motivator. And heaven is their divine motivator. We're going to be with Jesus and the forever everlasting life. We're only here for a short time. So we have to have this motivation of like, it's not just about what I do here, but everything I'm doing here is dress rehearsal for there. And the virtue that I contain here is the only thing that I can actually transfer there. My house won't transfer. My career won't transfer. All that stuff is just training ground for what I'll do there. But we there is a heavenly reward. And a lot of times we don't talk about it. Generous people who do it out of kingdom value do it because they're blessed. Hashtag blessed. Not the... Cute kind on Instagram, but the real kind. So I'm going to talk about, just for a minute, then how we're wired neurologically. Let me just get there. Neurological studies over the last 10 years have shown gratitude as being a fundamental motivational drive that was critical for building relationships and interpersonal relationships. That's, that's crazy. It's the fundamental. This is the core drive. If there's 10 things, this is number one, Okay. We, uh, this is a neurologist from UCLA, we predicted that the neural link between generosity and happiness was completely the, uh, the strongest link in our brain between generosity and happiness. We found significantly higher levels of generous behavior and happiness when you look at TPJ activity, which is part of the brain when they do the MRI, and that uh, when you have generosity, the same it triggers the same light up in your brain, like a Christmas tree, it looks like a Christmas tree in your brain from all the neurons firing, as when you're in a really happy moment with someone like a celebration of an anniversary or, or whatever, one of those moments of just time when you're hugging your child, whatever, that when you're generous, it's the same response in your brain and you can ha- be intentionally generous and create that response, but you're not always intentional in your celebration. That just happens more organically. And so the, the, the connection between happiness and generosity is, is absolute. So people who aren't generous can't create a cycle of happiness in their brain. The MRIs have shown this over and over and over. People who don't have generosity don't light up as much in their brain. Therefore, they don't have as much happiness. So this is key for those of you who haven't had this as part of your life. One finding is that it doesn't matter if you're generous to a group that's familiar or unfamiliar to you. As long as you're generous, you're going to have the same light up. That's huge. Another thing that I love is the commitment to be generous lights your brain up as much as the act of generosity itself. This means when you do a pledge, like you guys had the pledge thing I saw in that folder, as soon as you pledge to be generous, you get the same response of happiness in your brain as if you'd already given it. This is true of like when you tell your daughter, I'm gonna give you a car when you graduate, or I'm gonna pay for your first year of college or whatever. Just saying that to them with intention and with actually truth in your heart will give you a state of happiness that the actual act will bring you as well. That's huge. Living a lifestyle of not only actually doing the acts, but actually committing to the acts creates happiness in your brain. We have a lot more we can go through with that, but Cindy Wigglesworth has an incredible TED Talk about this, so you can look that up if you want to, but there's also tons of resources. If you just look up neurological generosity, you'll find a lot of stuff on Google. um, My studies are actually with psychologists and psychiatrists, but there's some stuff on there that you can find. Biologically, I love this, that generosity releases oxytocin. Now, how many of you know what oxytocin is? So they call it the cuddle hormone, the God hormone. This is the hormone that's released when you actually have a real connection to somebody. It's what keeps men monogamous in marriage and relationship because when you have a monogamous sexual relationship with a woman or a man, oxytocin is released, and it actually creates a chemical bonding that nothing else can create except for monogamous sexual relationship. Now, oxytocin is also released in a caregiving relationship between a father and a mother uh, to their children. And so you have oxytocin released there, which is also a bonding. That's why they call it the cuddle hormone. The longer you're with somebody, the more oxytocin is released. They have now found oxytocin's released in times of intense worship, not emotionally driven worship, but intense worship where you're declaring your devotion to God. As Christians and Catholics alone, they haven't found it in Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus or any other religion. Only with Christians and Catholics in, in worship. There's all kinds of studies to back this up. It's crazy. And even though people who were studying it were not Christians, so they were trying to figure out, why do people think they're connecting to God for real? Like, how is this oxytocin being released? That doesn't make sense because they're not believers and they're finding these facts. So it's just great. So oxytocin's released. Other than just direct relationship, the only other place it's released is generosity. And it it's, creates a warmth and a nice, uh, not fuzzy feeling, but a long-term committed feeling to health and emotional well-being. Which is just important to say. I'm not going to go through that one anymore. But number six, uh, number six, uh, psychological benefits of generosity and why it's important. I love these because these are not just pop psychology. This is general therapists and psychology. How many of you are therapists or psychologists in here? You will. If you don't agree with me, I'll be shocked. Number one, generosity lowers stress and keeps it in check. That's nice. All right. How many of you have been a little stressed out in the last year at some point? An act of generosity will lower your stress level. You know, I mean, it's not just petting dogs, like petting dogs and cats is nice too, but an act of generosity, actually looking at something and saying, I'm going to be generous to my children, my family, whoever, outside of myself, I'm going to be generous. God, show me how to be generous will lower your stress level. Number two, it leads to greater success. People who are more generous are actually more successful in life. There's so many tests that went into proving that. It's amazing. I love, I saw like so much research broken down. There's like two textbooks on this that are amazing. And just the the most successful people are the most generous people right now on the face of the earth for the most part, the vast majority. Number three, it keeps the cycle, and this is important, it keeps the cycle of all other good things happening in your life. Now, if you understand anxiety, depression, or some of these conditions, they're cyclical thought patterns where you've created pathways. even addiction, you've created pathways, and they're cyclical in the way that you think, and it's hard to get out of them, it's hard to break out of them, and generosity is one of the key things you can do that breaks the neurological pathway down. It doesn't actually break a pathway, but it, it creates a new pathway. so when your neurons are firing, they have new places to go that are the healthy way that your brain was wired to operate in the first place. So generosity creates a cycle of, of, of goodness in your life. That's nice. So I've, I've talked to friends. I have several friends who were going through different types of anxiety and depression. And we talked to them over the last year about this and said, okay, here's what our friends, and two of them are psychologists who were helping me speak into these people's lives. And we said, let's try this out. Do you figure out what you're most passionate about? What's the thing that you're like the compassion issue you're most compassionate about? And let's do something where you decide how you're going to give to that and see if it changes the pattern in your life. And it did. Completely changed the pattern of their life. It was such a huge movement forward. They'd done so many things to get better. And this generosity was one of the key things that caused their breakthrough, which I think is just so cool. Number four, it causes you to live a longer life. How would you like that? People who live a generous life live up to 6% longer than everybody else. I want to live 6% longer. Can you imagine? 6% longer. You get more days on the earth. If you like life, that's a good news. Number five, it creates more strength in your marriage than any other virtue. I love that, that the psychology community is saying, hey, you wanna have a stronger marriage? Well, the number one virtue is generosity because people are inherently selfish. So in marriage, if you're like not selfish and you're being generous to the partner, oh, this isn't a good time to talk, I'm really offended okay, I can put it off for two days and I can love you well by giving you the right time, like where you have, I'm gonna give you grace and compassion for where you're at. Oh, I, I really wanted this, but you want that. I'm actually gonna be generous and we're gonna buy what you want or do what you want. I'm gonna actually come outside of myself. Man, when you, it, it breaks a cycle of self like nothing else in marriage, but the people who are the most generous in marriage have the happiest marriages on earth right now. This isn't me and this isn't even, even though it's Bible, it's not Bible, this is our psychology community saying this. Amen. Number six, this is my favorite. It's the virtue that promotes the highest quality of mental health. Generosity promotes the highest quality of mental health. Come on. I mean, if you want to feel strong up here, you want to feel strong in here, be the most generous you can be. Don't be stupid generous, be obedient generous. Okay, we're almost done here. People who have uh, a generous heart, have bigger vision, according to Brené Brown, and they have more of a sense of purpose, and they have clearer thinking about world issues. One of the reasons why we have such selfish uh, thinking in this this political season of our America, you know, we have like very polarized thinking, the Democrats or Republicans, is because we haven't been radically generous. As a matter of fact, it was really interesting because I had one of the groups that's one of the faith-based coalitions uh, for the President Trump contact me, and I haven't been a part of the coalitions this time around, and. Um, And they contacted me and they said, we just went through a corporate repentance because we were only loving half of the Americans. We actually looked as the faith-based community as if the Democrats were our enemy. And they said, we fell in love with them and we adopted them and realized we're not fathering in the spirit in our whole nation. We're fathering the community that we chose, not the community that God's chose. And they had listened to a message I did on love, and they realized that they had left. They had such a lack of love that they had to be generous and their, in their um, passion and their energy also to Democrats, not just the people that they felt thought like them. And it was radical, because I mean, how cool is that? It's so easy to get polarized in political issues and think, well, they're this, they're that, they're whatever, and not actually look at them like, it's actually not us and them, it's us. Yeah. Yeah. Not only as Americans, but in the entire world. Like, I've gone to places like death row and war zones with warlords and these kinds of places. And when I see them, it's not us and them. It's like, if I wasn't given the opportunity I was by God and by my family, I might be here if I lived here. You know, I I remember going to Germany and I was meeting with a group of uh, great grandkids uh, and grandkids of Nazis. And they were all like around my age at the time. And I said, man, I'm so glad that we're in this generation because, you know, my parents, my dad's side of the family was German. I said, Can you imagine being born in Hitler's generation? We would have been as bad as our grandparents. We would have made the same choices. And they all looked at me university and said, we would have never made those choices. And I said, 99% did. I don't think you're good enough to be the 1%. I think you way highly overrate yourself and your goodness. I think, you know, you have revelation now, so you feel real empowered, but your grandparents weren't evil people. They were seduced by an evil doctrine. And they're just looking at me like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, we have the responsibility to love. And generosity is the proof text of love. And it's what keeps us happy and sane. (laughs) Thank God. I want to be strong up here. We're in trouble. Last thing is 80% of the world's wealth right now is in North America amongst Christians. According to the Barna Group 2016. There's enough money right now in North American Christians to fund the entire Great Commission, according to the Barna Group. Can you imagine? You guys, I don't know if you're hearing that. That's not a big deal to enough of you. We have the money to do the full mission. We don't have the strategy. We don't have the revelation yet or else it would be being done. But we have the money. Like, there's no other generation who could say that. We're the first generation who has the resources. And Californians have enough money. Christians in California have enough money to fund the entire harvest in the next two years of, of the entire nation. So if we just had the revelation, we can do it. And the key is generosity. I think it was interesting that one of my friends, Jack Smith, who you guys know, Jack, I was just interviewing him for our podcast, and he was telling me a story where this one woman, who's actually pretty wealthy, he was ministering to her on a plane, and she got physically healed when he prayed for her. She had a physical condition. And at the very end of the... And she's not a Christian, very not a Christian. And at the very end, he felt like he was supposed to give her a check for $200, and he felt really weird about it because she's super wealthy and cool and whatever and he's just like this is gonna be so weird but okay I'll just give it to her he didn't have $200 cash so he asked for a name he's like can I give you a check for $200 and she goes no way no way and he's like what she goes I went to a really bad church service and they manipulated me into giving $200 and when you're giving this back to me I know it's like God telling me like that wasn't me and you got hurt and abused by somebody who who caused you to be generous in the wrong way but I want you to live a generous life how cool is God some of you need to take that spiritual transference where you've been manipulated in the past and you've allowed a block to your generosity towards church or nonprofits or maybe somebody failed and sin, And so you look at the whole, that nonprofit industry as like evil or, or, you're, or you've been detached from it. I know one of our church members came out, you know, she's called to human anti-human trafficking and she worked for an organization that fell apart and embezzled millions of dollars. And so for like five years ago. And so she was like, for five years, she was stuck. And this year in January, God said, why did you give up my mission for your life? And she's like, what's your mission for my life? And he said, anti-human trafficking. And she's like, I don't know. I just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in this nonprofit stuff. I don't know if I can do it. And he goes, why are you blaming all of the, the bad that's happened on this gift of anti-human trafficking that I've given you? Like, like you were associated with some wrong people in this who sinned and failed, and now the whole thing's bad. Come out of it. And so she just went through like a sozo with Jesus himself, which is nice. Came out of it and is now starting an organization and going for it with some friends. And I'm just, some of us need to have that moment where it's like we've, we've villainized something or we've separated ourselves from something because of the abuse that happened or because of the reputation that happened. But you know what? what's really powerful? I used to hate Christian television. I hated it. I mean, like, when I moved to L.A., I did no faith-based project, didn't talk about faith-based projects, didn't want to be around faith-based projects. I just hated Christian television. And I was on it quite a bit. So every time I go on, I'd be like, this is the the cross I bear God. Like, it was not a joyful experience. And I used to hate it. And the Lord spoke to me one day and said, why do you hate it? And I said, I I know it does good. I know it's good. I I know the old ladies who watch it love it. (laughs) That's how cynical I was. I said, but it's just so cheesy, and it's so. And he said, well, that's because people like you have judged it and won't rise up and be reformers. I was like, you need to meet the reformers and speak in their lives, because there's people right now I'm having reform, and I've met with almost every single major head of every single Christian television, you know, studio or 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 network, from Canada to Mexico to. Russia. I mean, I've met with these guys and spoken into their lives about a reformation and that we have the power to take what generations developed in the infrastructure and it's time to bring it into programming and actually make incredible content. And I was so offended with this mission from God, but I fell in love with all these people and I was like, oh, I'm not offended anymore because love and me spending my time here actually caused me to see what God wants to do. And now I'm doing Christian television. It's so stupid. <laughs> and I hosted like three shows and every one of them like going, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I have fun. Now I, I'm not allowing myself to go into the negative place anymore. But a lot of times the things that are the most aggravating to us are the places we're going to have pearls of treasures in God if we'll just be generous. And so I want to encourage you, if there's a place inside of you that goes, I don't want to give 10% and you've created a whole theology around why you shouldn't, do it to offend yourself. If you can't do it to a church, do it to something. You know, If, you, if you've created a whole theology on why you shouldn't give, you're actually not going to be as happy in life. You're actually being bound by the enemy and a stronghold that causes you to not think straight in your marriage. It causes you to not be right in your mental health. Be generous in whatever way it looks like for you. Be generous because it'll be the proof text in how you hear from God and you'll grow the fastest. So let's all stand. had my friend who's a psychologist put a list together of me of things we could do right now to be generous that would help us neurologically and mentally and spiritually. And so she put a list. She's a Ph.D. psychologist. Here's what she said. And I want to just read these over you. And I want you to just prayerfully consider them. Do some listening prayers. I read these over you and see if God wants you to do any of them. And then make a commitment because that will actually be a great thing for you to do to make a commitment because that actually creates that happy happy hormone. It creates that happy balance. So number one, live more minimalistically. As a family, find things you're not using every quarter and share them with people who are in need. Give consistently to your church or a charitable organization where you actually plan it, plan it a year at a time, what you're going to do, and then reevaluate every six months. Support a passion project. Do you care about kids at risk, anti-trafficking, adoption, foster care. Give even if you don't have the means to do something directly about it. Give in a way that's intentional for a year at a time and also commit to pray for it every month. Join affiliate programs like Amazon Give where every time you purchase, a percentage goes to a charity. And after three or four years of doing this, you'll realize the accumulation and it will have a psychological impact on how you live life. Be generous with your encouragement. Give strangers and friends sincere compliments. Practice five compliments a day. Offer mentorship if you have something you can mentor people in, even if it's just once a year, two times. Can you imagine once a year, two times, she said, was enough to have an effect on you? That's crazy. Pick up trash. They've studied that when you pick up trash in the community that you belong to, the school you belong to, the business you belong to, it has a psychological positive effect on you. Isn't that wild? If you don't spit out your gum on the ground, it has a psychological effect on you for living there. Give gifts to celebrate occasions. Don't just say nice things. Give gifts. Give thoughtful gifts. Make your own cards to celebrate occasions. Be kind to customer service employees. This was on her list. She said, be kind to customer service. It has a psychological, neurological, and spiritual effect on you. Support coworkers' passions outside of work. That was a big one. I didn't know that. So I asked her about it. And she said, when you support, when you ask somebody at work, like let's say you work at a, as a barista or something, and you say, what are you passionate about? And they say, I'm, I'm musical. And you say, what are you doing about it? And they tell you, I'm in a band and we're, we need practice space. And you pay for the practice space once, that that's going to have a huge impact on them because someone at work believes in their other dreams. It's going to have a huge impact on you. So connect those who can provide mutual value. So without getting finances from it. So find people who, you know, like maybe you're friends with your home group leader and they're a business person, a real estate agent, and maybe someone's a new real estate agent and you connect them to have a friendship. You connect people with good value to each other. Be a good listener. I love that one. She said, to tell people to practice once a month being a good listener where they don't talk about themselves at all when they go out with their spouse or their friend, best friend. They're just gonna listen and they're gonna be attentive the whole time with no cell phone on the table. Give public recognition. Let someone go in front of you in line. She said, men who let women with children go in front of them at like Target or grocery store consistently actually build the same building blocks of generosity as when you do like a charitable act and you're giving to orphans. It has the same impact on you psychologically when you do it intentionally. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I'm like learning this going, how does that have the same impact? Because we're wired for it. So when you're practicing it, it has a huge impact on you. We just don't always see it here, but when you start to practice it, you start to reap the benefits that I talked about earlier. Last thing is um, open a door and smile and say hello, or just when you see strangers, look them in the eye and smile and say hello. Now when I do that in L.A., people think I'm going to rob them. Seriously, you like walk down the street and you're like, hi, how are you? They're like, what do you want? What's going on? We have to be careful in L.A., but you guys are in Orange County. Everyone's friendly. So I just wanted to give you that list to prayerfully think about. There's a million other things you can do, but she just came up with a list that these are guaranteed ways psychologically to benefit you. So I want you to put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, thank you for today. Thank you for this month at Influence Church. It's a month of generosity. Thank you for all they've already committed to. Thank you for the work that's already established in the root system of this community because they've said yes to your love, and they've said yes to be generous, to prove your love. And I pray, God, that each person here individually, that you would take us on an individual journey of hearing your heart of how to be generous, because when we're generous, we notice when people are being generous with us. We notice when favor is coming. We notice when your face is shining on us because we're in a a cycle of your goodness we're in a cycle of seeing what you're doing who you are and what how you love and I pray Lord that you would just encourage us today to enter into that cycle in a fresh way if we're already doing it multiply it if we haven't done it in a while if we've been in a selfish or self-protection season or survival mode take us out of survival mode by radical acts of generosity show us how to give and what to give even if it's just the common list that I just gave Lord, take us out of that place where everything has to be super spiritual and it has to change the world instantly. I pray that you would take us out of that Messiah complex and bring us into the place where basic goodness is enough. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, about how to be generous, especially this month. Let it truly be a season about giving more than receiving. In Jesus' name.